All right, welcome back to this week's episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. This week, you've got myself, and I'm here with Nick and Brennan. Um, we're going to be breaking down top 10 movies in the U.S., talking about what very little is going on at the box office, um, as well as some recommendations of stuff we've been watching to fill the, the theater-shaped void in our hearts that's uh, <laughs> been weighing down on me. Uh, man, I haven't been to a theater in like six weeks. It's, uh, it, it's a crazy time. It's so crazy. I miss the theater so much. It's just, I feel like I'm getting that stage now where it's like, I really need a haircut really badly. <laughs> like, it's like, you like start trying weird things with like your facial hair. It's like, you grow a mustache out just to see what it looks like. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a weird time for me, guys. <laughs> uh, what was the last movie you guys saw in theaters? Bloodshot. Bloodshot. <laughs> so I, I had lined up a, uh, a triple feature with Bloodshot, Emma, and onward and then i forget why but i could only make it to see onward and it's just i don't want that to be my last theater experience ever you know <laughs> i mean it, at least if it was like incredibles 2 or something i'd like it a little bit more but it was just it was one of the most average theater visits i've ever had and i don't i don't want to end on that yeah when um, i went when i went and saw bloodshot like i was just i saw it like the thursday night and I feel like Friday into Saturday of that weekend, it was like March like 13th or whatever. It was like when like everything got really bad and everyone really started to hunker down. But like that Thursday, I'm just sitting there just watching like Vin Diesel just mug to the camera and in the, in the way Vin Diesel does. And I'm just, just thinking, it's like, man, if I get the coronavirus, like seeing bloodshot, I'm going to hate myself <laughs> so much because <laughs> it was just so stupid. Ugh. Bloodshot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, the last two I saw, I double featured uh, The Way Back and Emma. So I'm content with that. But, I mean, it's it's been a while now. That was back at, like, first or second week of March. So it's 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 hurting. But um, still a little ways to go. But, I mean, we've been busy. We've been watching a lot of movies at home. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit today as well. And I think the interesting thing will be that um... – like when when theaters open up, theaters are going to open up before movies are going to release. So I think we'll see. And I mean, they've already talked about like in China, they're doing the Avengers movies. But I think it'll open the door for a lot of these studios to re-release some stuff, which I think will be really cool. Um, so like right before the day before I saw Onward, I saw the King Kong re-release. So I think if we could get a lot more of that this summer, since I mean, there really isn't a summer blockbuster season until the end of July now. Um, that we can actually have a somewhat worthwhile theater going experience over the next couple months. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping for like I know there's there's some smaller movies like I felt really bad for Never Rarely Sometimes Always, which I know Colin and I both saw at Sundance, and it, it opened that same weekend as Bloodshot, and in like four theaters like in New York and LA, then went straight to VOD. Um, I kind of hope for that one to get a re-release of some sort. Um, I feel the same way for First Cow. Um, the the like the, the delightful looking Kelly Reichert movie from A twenty four that was in theaters for like a small time too. I am I'm I am hoping that some of these movies kind of figure out a way to get back into some theaters at some point. Yeah, and yeah. That you look at like the Green Knight is still scheduled for the end of May, so we we may see some of these smaller movies that have held on to their release dates that actually uh, have pretty good halls because there's nothing to compete against. Um, yeah, I think some of these other movies do need to come back, though. I mean, uh, especially the smaller ones that you guys were talking about, First Cow. Um, yeah, 
I'd really want them to come back. So if, if we're able to get the theaters up and running again and there's there's kind of a void to be filled, I think it would be uh, worthwhile for some of these uh, studios and A24 especially to bring back some of these movies for a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's really smart as well for, I think, just Netflix in the interim because they, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but they've had so much stuff come out the last week, last few weeks. And I forget where I read it, but there was a report that basically said that all of Netflix's 2020 slate has been shot already. So, like, it's all, like, basically done. So, I mean, it's going to be a little tougher to edit and, like, when everyone's kind of zoned off as they are now. But, like, at least everything's shot. So, like, realistically, everything will be done for them. And, like, so they're, like, releasing, like, I don't know, like, a, 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 new, a few, like, items every week now, which is just insane to me. But um, it's just, like, every week I just... I feel like I, I understand like the power of Netflix even more because <laughs> they're just like, like they release a crazy big movie with Chris Hemsworth. And they also have like a, a really interesting documentary um, about the circus of books in LA. Like they're just like, I don't know, like every time I, every Friday and like, I see like the things like the, what's the new thing is like on their homepage. It's just crazy to me. Like the amount of stuff they're pumping out. Yeah, I mean, they're worth more than Disney right now, which is just crazy to think about (laughs) (laughs) it's so insane um but i mean like you look at it and really like all these studios have a lot more that would have like disney you know has parks and a whole lot of this uh merchandising stuff that's kind of shut down right now but netflix like isn't really being weighed down in terms of access to what it's trying to put out and so like they're just in such a phenomenal position to be making money and getting people on their service right now Definitely. I mean, it's 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 kind of the uh, not. I don't want to call anything about this perfect, but it's the perfect storm for Netflix. It really is because I feel like for a minute there, like when Disney Plus was launching, and there was also news for with like HBO Max like coming out and like Peacock, like whatever the hell that's gonna be. Um, like I feel like all of us were like, ooh, I don't know, like Netflix, like are they gonna survive? And like, I feel like at this point, it's like like yes, like of course they are. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're like. Like, unless something crazy happens, which I don't know, like saying that in like this time feels kind of weird, but you never know. Um, I think like, like they're like, so like clearly like at the forefront of all this, like Disney, like, when was like the last new thing Disney plus released? It was like that movie, like star girl, which I think came out for them. And like, no one talked about. Uh, so like, I feel like just Netflix, I just think it's just so like far superior to everything else that's out there. Yeah. And I mean, Netflix kind of they didn't really have to do anything to to earn this, but none of the other streaming services that are supposed to launch this year have really launched yet. It's like HBO Max is still about a month out. Peacock is towards the end of the year. And so like all these Netflix killers are currently doing nothing while Netflix is just growing astronomically because nobody can leave their house. Yeah, and I can't I can't say I'm quite the quibby head. Um, so like, I don't think that's going to be doing much either. Um, and I've been thinking about, it's funny cause I've been thinking about like, Hey, should we talk about Quibi at some point? And then I just like, I have like the realization where it's like, no, I don't really want to, yeah, <laughs> I have no desire to talk about that. Nothing really to say. Yeah. They were pretty aggressive trying to get people in for the, the 30 day. Or I think it was even longer. I think it was like a 90 day trial. Yeah. And I just, I've yet to talk to somebody that's like, Oh yeah, I have Quibi. <laughs> uh pouring out for quibi you hate to see it <laughs> so, like, they literally cannot give it away right now 
It's, it's only a 500,000 downloads on the Android store. Didn't even break a million. So, rip Quibi. Yeah, not great. It's rough. But uh, good thing we're not here to talk about Quibi because we've got <laughs> some Netflix rankings to break down. Uh, so I'm going to run through the top 10 for Netflix movies this week, which had a pretty surprising amount of animation, in my opinion. But uh, number one was Extraction, which was the Chris Hemsworth uh, produced by the Russo Brothers action epic, followed by The Willoughby's, uh, which those are new Netflix properties. And then Despicable Me is in the number three spot, followed by Django Unchained, which uh, re-released on the platform. It's been on there before, but came back. And Angel Has Fallen, which is... I think it's kind of hung on the past couple 10 weeks. Uh, we are top 10 in the past couple weeks as well. And then Code 8 was in the number 6 spot, followed by The Green Hornet at number 7, Incredibles 2 at number 8, Angry Birds 2 still hanging in there at number 9, and surprisingly, The Grinch at number 10. Yeah, it feels like a lot of... I mean, we've kind of seen a lot of trends where it's like, all right, like what's like a buzzy new thing on, on Netflix? So that makes a lot of sense for like Django or something like that. But it's also... I feel like there's just so much uh, time that has to be filled with like parents with multiple little children <laughs> who are like probably getting sick of them at this point. So like, yeah, like almost like half of this is well, half of this list is animated films where it's just like, please just go watch something and let me like breathe for a hot second. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny to think about that way. But um, I actually, I, I watched the Willoughby's uh, the movie, which I actually quite enjoyed. Um, I, well, I should say I really like the first half of this movie because I guess for background, it's basically there's a group of kids, um, uh, a lead, a son who's uh, voiced by Will Forte, and then um, a daughter. I forget the character's name, but it's voiced by uh, Lisa Cara, the the singer, which is really interesting. Um, and then two twins who um, they're just like they're kind of like the weird twins you see in every like one of these animated movies. Um, but basically, their parents. Their parents hate them, and they're like these, like they're like these British people that are like stuck in like the 1930s, <laughs> where like they don't know what phones are. It's a really funny gag, and they're just like they like hold, they held onto their house, and the, the like the surrounding area around their house is just um, like a really, it's just like New York City or something like that, and like <laughs> in the middle of this is just like their like super old like like kind of like gothic looking house. It's really funny. Um, but yeah, like they basically like their parents just like hate them and like they come downstairs and like the parents will eat all the food and the parents and then the kids will ask for some and they'll be like, uh, no, like you like how dare you ask us for food? <laughs> so the first half of this movie is like really like like Loki really dark, like the like the parents hate these kids. And so the, the kids are like, all right, well, we're going to get rid of them. So they basically send them on like a crazy like trip uh, throughout, like just like they pick out like they fit they they pretend to be like a travel agency and like they like send like here like let's go go on this crazy trip so they like try to send them to like the like the most like dangerous places in the world to try to kill them um so it's just really dark um which i really appreciate it it's really funny um but um yeah and the, the second half isn't great it's just kind of like the typical like oh the family the family you never thought you had was there all along type of thing that you see in all yeah. these animated movies um, but I'd recommend the movie. It was really funny. I liked it a lot. It was really weird and zany. Um, I had a great, I had a really good time with it. 
Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, I'm probably going to check it out. I, I don't really know too much about it, but I mean, it looks intriguing, and it's always interesting when Netflix drops their an original animated movie. I think it's just a little bit different, and they saw success last year with a couple of them, so uh, yeah, I'll check this one out for sure. Yeah, I'm not really planning on it, uh, <laughs> which is which is my attitude towards most of Netflix's releases, but uh, yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually i i would recommend it it's it's not great um but much like klaus and these other like animated movies as you mentioned brennan where it's 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 a little different the animation's a little it's slightly different where it's kind of like a weird it's it seems like it's a little bit of a hybrid 2d 3d type of thing or maybe just kind of like stop motion uh, maybe that's just because it was cheaper who knows but um i it's it's very bizarre and it has a really like kind of like angry like a slightly angry and like deadly streak to it which is kind of funny i don't know if that's like great for kids but like i certainly had fun with it um so i think like compared to like angry birds 2 the grinch and the incredibles 2 like maybe like willoughby's might be the best choice out of all these animated movies um mm-hmm. i'd recommend it a lot um like i said not great but it's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there that i thought was really funny colin give it a chance uh, we'll see. You know, I would, but I have all these Shrek movies to get through now, and I just I don't want to wear myself out. But uh, I I think like Despicable Me is a, a solid movie, and I haven't really seen it in a long time. But I think it it deserves its spot at the number three spot. Um, I mean, it has uh, some pretty good soundtrack uh, going for it with Pharrell, who for some reason is like the main guy for that movie. <laughs> And I, I don't think the minions were as obnoxious, but it's been like a decade since I've seen it, so I, I'm also not a Despicable Me expert. The yeah, moment it's that the moment that movie, that movie uh, yeah, continue, no worries. I was gonna say I, it's definitely true that the minions were like they didn't know what they had at that point <laughs> with the first Despicable Me, so like they're like they're exactly what they should be, like the like just gibberish talking goofy side characters. So I feel like if I, I it's been a minute since I've watched it too, but like the main like point of that movie is kind of like the is the relationship between Gru and all the little kids yeah so that movie's actually it has like a lot like a lot of good sweetness to it but then i think shortly after that like despicable me too and like the minions like movie itself they just like jump the shark and they're like all right just all minions from here yeah. on out minion overlord uh overlord but uh let's move on because uh once we start talking about these movies the songs get stuck in my head <laughs> was, ha- was happy the first that was the first one right was that the second happy one? was the second one so the first one actually Just, has a pretty good pharrell song yeah like it's stuck the in my despicable head right me theme yeah it's a uh, it's it's gonna stay there for a while um <laughs> but then like yeah the second one was happy and then uh, so i i worked at a movie theater when the minions movie came out and uh during the credits was a minion cover of Revolution by the Beatles. And uh, I still have nightmares about it. I just, because you know how, like, uh, there's a big scream that starts out that song. Like, hearing it come from a minion is what I imagine, like, being a soldier and you just, like, hear the enemy screaming at you before you die. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's haunting. That sounds awful. I wish you wouldn't have brought that up (laughs) give it a listen if if you're feeling too happy today and you just want to be knocked down a peg or two just take a take a quick four minute listen and 
you'll definitely be having a worse day. <laughs> Colin, I'll I'll listen to it if you watch the Willoughby's. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe the, after Shrek. That sounds like a reasonable trade-off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the in the number four spot was Django Unchained, which Netflix normally has a pretty good Tarantino selection. Um, I don't I don't really know if there's a deal there or not, but they've they've normally got at least his hits, and then at like some of his smaller movies like Jackie Brown will kind of come in and out. But normally they've got like bastards the hateful eight is always on like there's a special edition of the hateful eight just for netflix on there so mm-hmm. i'm not surprised to see django coming back to the service and not surprised to see it succeeding because it is a it is a pretty good um non-netflix movie for the service it's yeah been a few years i think, since i watched uh, it go ahead brian yeah i've never actually seen it that's one i think that and jackie brown uh, the two that I haven't seen from him. So I'll, I'll get on that soon, despite it not being on uh, the Canadian Netflix right now. But I find that a lot of the time, whenever directors do movies for Netflix, uh, Tarantino didn't do it, do a movie for Netflix, but Hey Flight obviously has that uh, Netflix kind of special cut with the four episodes or whatever. Um, you see a lot of the, that director's library get opened up onto Netflix, like Marty right now in uh, Canada, at least uh, ever since the Irishman, just a few months ago, we have like 12 different Martin Scorsese movies right now on the Canadian Netflix. So um, like, it, I don't know. I just find that that happens a lot, even with Noah Baumbach uh, with marriage story and, and even Meyerowitz since then, like all his other films have been dropped on the Canadian Netflix right now. And I just find that that's kind of a trend. Yeah, I've also noticed too where it's like I think like there's like like not even joking like thirty eight twenty four movies on Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's something weird like that too. Uh, like I don't even. It's also bizarre because they're teamed up with Apple now. I think Apple just like bought them out, right? So they should be like I know Sofia Coppola is making a movie through a twenty four and Apple TV Plus like later this year. So like you would think that they would like start to disappear on their surface, but I guess not. They're just all there chilling. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, so I know Django is normally one of the like the top tier Tarantino movies for most people. But for me, I honestly think it's like more in my bottom half. I think it's I think it's still a good movie, but I just didn't gravitate towards it like everybody else really seems to. Yeah, I agree. It's I forget where I, I re-ranked the the Tarantino movies after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think it's it's also in that lower uh, part for me as well um it's not it's not as rewatchable um it's just not like as fun <laughs> you know it's just really rough that sometimes on uh, the third act gets kind of wonky and then like tarantino comes around with his australian accent uh, it's very bizarre um but yeah it's it's really fun and uh like leo is just like on one in that movie and it's, it's so cra- crazy to watch him like just go nuts uh, i i would like to revisit it maybe at some point even though it is like like four hours long or however long it is <laughs> yeah but i'm also a big hateful eight fan which is normally like a one that's always at the bottom of the tarantino rankings but you know maybe maybe i'm just backwards in my my tarantino uh favorites and then other than that uh number five is angel has fallen which this is one that's kind of been on the top 10 for quite a few weeks um it was it wasn't just a huge movie at the box office last year, but it seems like the perfect Netflix action movie. And they've had the other two has fallen and 
White House Down, which came out the same year as Olympus Has Fallen and is basically the same movie. Um, <laughs> but this is it just it seems like a very good franchise for Netflix. And the fact that it keeps being in the top 10 just kind of reaffirms that. Yeah, and Brennan and I talked about this last week where it's like it feels like they've because this was like the movie came out like last August or something like that. So if, it does feel like it's on the service to kind of like just like increase interest in the has fallen franchise just in general because they're making another one and things like that. I don't know. But yeah, it does seem like people like it. So there's definitely there's an audience for it, I guess. Definitely. I think, yeah, as we were talking about last week, that seems exactly uh, like what they're doing, just trying to really build sort of a following to potentially jumpstart them into the fourth film. And then Code 8 is kind of in a similar vein in the number six spot, which I heard the uh, the, because it started off as a short that Stephen Amell, who uh, was famous for playing the Green Arrow for, I think, close to a decade when he ended last year or this year. Um, But this is like one, his little passion project with his cousin. And they had a short that got quite a bit of traction a couple of years ago and were able to get funding for the movie. And the movie seems to have been received pretty well. Um, It's something that is like on my list that I want to check out, but nothing that I'm passionate enough to be like, I need to see this right now. Yeah. There's always, there's always that one, like, like I didn't even know any of that information about code eight, but there's always like this one, like bizarre film that's on the top 10. And we've, I feel like I've kind of hit this really hard because I'm just like, so like enamored by how weird it is. But like, there's like this movie then like that movie freaks as well was on the top 10 for a minute. And like that, like that Omar Epps movie or whatever, whoever was in it, it was like that, that, that 3022 movie is <laughs> like another sci-fi movie that was on there for a minute. Um, I don't know why I, I would, I would like to see like what, like the, the reason is like, if I could kind of, if I could somehow steal Netflix's data <laughs> and understand why <laughs> like these movies are like, in, like interesting to people. Like I, I, like I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Like you would think like maybe like something like, Angel has fallen where it's like, yeah, that movie was like pretty well heavily marketed, but like, like for a lot of people, it's like, oh, I'll wait to whenever that's on like streaming or like VOD or whatever to watch it. Like that movie makes sense to me as a top 10, but like, I don't really know, like, are there like a lot of like Stephen Amell like heads out there? <laughs> like, is that what it is? Like, I don't really know. Like, it's just, it's just very bizarre to me. And then it's something the, the one that really yeah, stumped me. Oh. Yeah, we'll never know. I mean, it, it's weird. But I, I'd like to know a lot more about Netflix as well, but it's it's a common theme. We'll never know. Yeah, I mean, that one, like, stumped me a little bit just because it is kind of a smaller movie compared to some of the other stuff we're seeing on here. Um, but the one that really stumps me on this list is The Green Hornet. Like, I, I don't really know why almost 10 years later this movie's resurged onto the Netflix top 10. Um, like, I know this movie was pretty universally panned. Seth Rogen doesn't even like to talk about it. And just <laughs> anytime somebody brings it up on Twitter, he just gives them an LOL and moves on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for some reason, this movie is working for people right now. So that that's where we are as a society. <laughs> we live in a society. I got to say, I like this movie. I'm, I will stand. I will stand the Green Hornet. Um, I think it's fun. I mean, this is also me not knowing like I, I don't think i've like i never watched the green hornet show or like i think this was probably my introduction to the green hornet um so i guess from that perspective maybe like going in fresh to it because maybe they did like a lot of just like stupid stuff with like the lore of green hornet that i i just like don't know and i'm like totally oblivious to so maybe that's it but 
I had a lot of fun with this movie. I don't know. It's Michelle Gondry directing it. Um, the Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. There's like really interesting, like kind of comic booky tricks he does with like a lot of like the action sequences and transitions. Um, I like it a lot. It's very weird. I would kind of compare it to um, Ang Lee's Hulk, where it's like a really interesting experiment that I don't think anyone really likes <laughs> the same way. Um, where it's just so bizarre and weird, but I kind of appreciate it for how different it is. Um, I don't know. I. I like this movie. Not, I'm not like crazy about it, but I think there's like a lot of fun stuff in it. Yeah, I mean, it was one of like David David Harbour's first larger roles. So, I mean, if it helped us get uh, Stranger Things and Hellboy, then I think it's worth it. Because <laughs> what's better than 2019's Hellboy? Had to throw I it do, in there. <laughs> I do like because this was right after or like right when um, Christoph Waltz was becoming a big deal. So I think this is like one of like the first roles he took after Inglorious Bastards. So he plays like the villain in this movie. Um, and everyone makes, I like, there's a really funny gag in it. Cause his name's like Chudnovsky. I think that's his name. And everyone makes fun of him. Cause they're like, that's not like a scary name. Like you got to change that. It's so, like the whole gag is like him trying to like create like his persona as a villain the whole time. And it's just Christoph Waltz. So he's just being so hammy and wonderful with it. Um, <laughs> I like it. I think this is this is one of my weird things that I really enjoy. Uh, there's like things in here that maybe like hit me at the right age when I was like in high school or something like that when I watched it. I don't know, but <laughs> I like this movie. It's fun. And then uh, Incredibles two doesn't surprise me just because we have seen a lot more kids movies on the list. Because I mean, eight, nine, and ten are all kids movies from Incredibles two, Angry Birds two, and then The Grinch is just. I don't understand why, um, like, because it is a Christmas movie, and you know we're we're in the middle of April, but <laughs> apparently parents are just looking for whatever will entertain their kids, and so they're like, you know what, we've already seen Angry Birds two five times today, we're watching The Grinch. <laughs> I honestly think that's what it is. I really think that's what it is. Like, I think, I mean, it's been like what, like, people are like going into like almost like week six of quarantine, depending on like where you like live at this point. And so if you have like a lot of small children, like that's, that's rough. Like, like salute to all you parents out there. So like, you just need, you need something to just like get that, to get by during the day. So it's like, ah, it's the Grinch. It's, there's funny, goofy animated stuff. Who cares? Christmas in April. Let's go with it. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I don't really understand, but, also, I do understand because, I mean, it's we're coming into six weeks. We've got, you know, probably at least another two weeks, if not more, depending on what part of the country you're in for uh, quarantine and self-isolation. So I think we're going to see more just kind of oddities like this pop up in the Netflix top ten. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. But, yeah, like that pretty much wraps up Netflix because they're kind of the only thing going on right now <laughs> as far as new movies are concerned. And then next month we'll get into HBO Max and, and get a little bit more new stuff. But right now Netflix is just kind of king. Uh, but there are mm -hmm. some movie releases, uh, mainly Netflix and Hulu at this point. Um, I haven't really seen anything new lately just because I've been using this time to get into to some old stuff. But I know like Circus of Books and St. Francis – as well as the Willoughby's and Extraction are, are new releases that are still coming out despite everything going on. Yeah, I 
I guess this is the time to talk about Extraction, which is a movie that I'll probably forget about fairly quickly. Um, but, but yeah, this is number one in the top ten. But um, it's Chris Hemsworth, and basically there's a he's just like this like special ops dude who just if you need a guy to, if you need to pay a lot, guy a lot a lot of money to go save someone, that Chris Hemsworth's your dude. So basically, it's just kid gets um, kidnapped by. A rival drug lord. There's like this movie pits two drug lords together, one in um, Bangladesh, and I forget what the other one is. But um, basically, it's just Chris Hemsworth to go in there, save the kid, get him out of there, um, and that's basically the whole movie. And it's just it's one large excuse for just an insane amount of um, just stunts. And I will say that the stunts in this movie are like kind of incredible. Uh, they're really fun to watch. Like there's one really good scene. I think it's like 30 minutes into the movie. It's like 12, 15 minutes long, where it's just like. A, like a massive fight and you just like he stumbles out of like a building and then he goes in, into a car then he has like a knife fight in the middle of like a um like a, like a weird like like little bazaar over there there's <laughs> like people just like walking around like yo there's just like a knife fight over there it's bizarre um so but this movie is just so like like self-serious like and, like all the john wick movies are like really really fun and how violent they are there's a playful like balletic kind of like nature to them and this movie is just like super grimy and so self-serious that it it was really hard to to get invested in anything that this movie was um trying to lay down for you uh, it's really tough um really tough beat this is a film that um it seems like netflix has done pretty aggressive uh, ad campaigning for it surprisingly like uh, commercial wise and just kind of on cable tv i don't usually see netflix uh, commercials i think it's quite rare um but I, I, I just sitting down today watching TV. I think I saw a commercial for this film twice, maybe three times. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, maybe they have some excess cash they're willing to to spend on ad promos. But I don't really recall Netflix doing that much in terms of TV ads. But for some reason, I've seen a lot for uh, Extraction. Yeah, I feel like this yeah, is uh, there's um, sorry, Colin, but there's like a few every single year where. They put like they pump a pretty good amount of money into them. Like I know that this movie costs like sixty to seventy million dollars, like right in that range. Like it's a pretty expensive movie, and so like and it has like Chris Hemsworth is your lead, and like the visionary director Russo brothers <laughs> are tied to this, and that's what they've been <laughs> advertised as. Um, but I feel like there is like there's like every like I feel like Six Underground was pretty heavily marketed like last year, at the end of last year as well. Like I feel like there's a couple where like we like they know that like. Like teenagers are gonna watch ta- Tall Girl on the service, you know, like no matter like how hard they advertise it. But I feel like there's a couple where it's like, especially in this time where they're looking for new subscribers and like during this downtime and no one really has anything to watch. So it's like, yeah, why not? Let's watch Extraction. So I feel like, I feel like that makes sense. And maybe there was maybe a pivot for them for Netflix because they knew nothing else was going on. So they figured, why not just try to get in as much new people as possible? But um, yeah, I think this is one of their big plays of the, of the new year. Because they had so much star power in it. Yeah, and I think part of that is just it's coming from the Russo brothers, and they can pimp that out a lot. And then part of it is I think they're just trying to take advantage of the fact that people need stuff to do. It's a good time to be blasting new content as much as you can. Yeah, because like the only thing, I'll... like, the, like the one big thing. It's funny because like I feel like ESPN has been another decent winner because they had. They're showing the Michael Jordan doc, the 10 part series, which has been like, everyone's been freaking out about it in sports like circles. 
like that and like the NFL draft, which just happened this past weekend. Like those are like the only things that have like happened other than like whatever the big Netflix releases are. So I don't blame them. You know, it's like, why not? Like no one, nothing else is happening. Let's make everyone watch extraction and get on our service. And <laughs> hopefully they forget that they signed up. So we just keep the, keep billing them every month. Uh, I think yeah. it, makes, it makes a lot of sense from my perspective. Yeah. It's, it's definitely no surprise. And, I mean, it seems to be doing pretty well. I won't be surprised if we get a sequel, um, just because the at least like the critical reaction has been kind of mixed, but I think the audience reaction has been fairly strong. And kind of like you were saying, the action is really what's carrying this. So I think I think we'll see more of it. It's so there is there is like a slight tease for like a sequel and it's so stupid. <laughs> it made me so angry. Cause just, I won't spoil it here cause it's a new movie, but the way the movie ends and there's like a little bit of like a teaser at the end for like something to happen going forward. And I, it just like, it was like such like an F you <laughs> like the way for the way, like what, what just transpired beforehand. Um, but yeah, my guess is we'll be seeing more if these people are available. I mean, Hemsworth is maybe or maybe not in Guardians 3, so he could have an opening. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up new stuff, but we've been filling our time with sometimes really old, sometimes sort of old stuff. I'm um, just catching up on movies and revisiting some favorites. Uh, so let's let's take this time to talk about some beautiful movies um, I'm going to talk about the worst movie I've seen since uh, coronavirus <laughs> started, <laughs> and that is Scream 3, which I decided to watch last night. And I mean, I like the first two Screams well enough. I think the first one especially is pretty fun and inventive, uh, but Scream 3 was just really annoying for me. <laughs> and I just I've never been so uninterested in a movie as I was watching it uh, because it like it, it does this dumb thing where. It tries to be meta, and so the the plot of Scream 3 involves the making of the fake movie Stab 3. And so about every 10 minutes, one of the characters will like point out a horror trope or something about the script of Stab 3 and just like cheekily look at the camera. And then, you know, lo and behold, that same thing happens in the actual movie like 10 minutes later. And it like it works in the first Scream when Craven does that, and it's kind of clever and like helps that movie stand out and by the time we get to scream three it's just obnoxious and i was so ready for the movie to be done and then finally an agonizing hour and 45 later it was <laughs> it seems like it, there's it's interesting because i this is actually i think i've only seen the first scream so i haven't even seen two but it seems like i've heard at least in some circles where it seems like like scream three is starting to go through like some sort of like like no like this is like this movie is like like actually good and we haven't been like appreciating it for what it is this whole time. So it's, it is really funny to hear you see be like, no, this movie is like awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, this scream three is like Joker in the sense that it <laughs> thinks it's being clever, but it's not, it's just saying things very loudly. How dare you defile Joker? The, greatest, <laughs> the, the best movie of 2019. <laughs> Okay. So uh, that's that's been my anti recommendation. I, I guess you can count it as a recommendation for the first two screams, but just stop there. Yeah, perfect. Um, I rewatch. I took the time sometimes this weekend to rewatch uh, a few movies, a few recent movies that I really liked 
And uh, one of them was Roma, which I hadn't seen since kind of like the big hoopla of it at the end of 2018. I think I saw it in theaters, which was great. And then I rewatched it on Netflix shortly after when it went on there. Um, but I hadn't seen it since. And you know what's a really good movie? Uh, Roma. Roma is really good. <laughs> like, um, it's interesting because I feel like we all get like trapped and like, oh, what's next and what's all coming? And we all get excited for the next Oscar season. But um, I feel like we like maybe like it's died down a little bit, but I feel like we don't really get a lot of Roma conversations anymore. Um, but this movie is so good. Like I, I adore everything about Roma and what Alfonso Cuaron is doing. I think it's one of the best looking movies of like the past couple years. And just the way this movie uses deep focus to just to kind of show just life unfolding uh, surrounding uh, Cleo and how she's like going through like her own issues. But then there's like, like one of my favorite scenes in that movie is where like at the end of it, where the entire family is just like, just destroyed and like they're like their lives are falling apart. And in the, in the background, there's just like a, like a marriage and like there's people like they're so happy. Um, and like, I think just like, that's just like throughout this entire movie where like there's other people going going through like their own issues while like you you're following like the like the main like plots of this movie um so i just think i just find it so moving but um i think it's just so terrific i think it's also for anyone who hasn't seen it and who's kind of like was like thinking about seeing it but then they just decided not to i think it's a really good entryway into foreign film and kind of like if you're even like a little like standoffish towards black and white like i think it's a really good entryway into all of that because um it it's like two hours and 15 minutes but it really moves and like the it's super accessible and all the emotions in it are like really it's like so devastating and like like anyone watching it can kind of really get a lot out of it so um that's my two years late recommendation for roma it's 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 so good i love everything about this movie um, I was nervous because it's like I'm, like, I'm pretty sure I made this like my number one movie of 2018, um, and I was like, oh, like let's see how this like if this holds up or if this was me getting caught up in everything. But no, this movie is just terrific. I love everything about it. I think you're right uh, in 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 the respect that it, it's a good entryway for people who maybe, as you said, standoffish to um, uh, foreign films or uh, black and white movies because I do think it's pretty accessible for the most part i think pacing is something that i mean i like the movie a lot but i think for a, a lot of people who maybe aren't into uh capital c cinema if you will i think maybe the pacing is what would turn them away if anything because for the most part i don't think this is a film that's hard to follow dialogue wise i don't think the black and white hurts it. i think it helps it um so yeah you're right i think it's a good gateway for for people who are kind of standoffish to those uh aspects but yeah this is a it's still a great movie yeah and like i just like there's a few scenes like when it first started and like you hear like the like like the hustle and bustle of like just like that that street in Roma and it's like oh shit here comes all the emotions again. <laughs> like, it's such a strong emotional movie for me where I mean like the ending is just like just like unreal like how like emotionally like resonant that it is. It's uh, I love it. I love this movie. It's if you ever need a good cry, this was me. I was in a puddle when I was watching this <laughs> the other day. It's so good. I love it. And it's a movie where you don't really, I, for me, when I first watched it, I remember distinctly, I've seen it twice. I saw it, I watched it uh, like, like when it came out on Netflix and kind of all the buzz happened around it. I watched it twice that week and I haven't watched it since, but I remember watching it. It's a movie that you don't really know how invested you are until certain things happen within the, within the film. And then you kind of feel it all at once. 
Yeah, it's got so many like really long takes, and it just kind of sucks you in. And um, I just I like I kind of what I was saying before. Like, there's just so much stuff going on in the background of this movie. Like, I was really focusing in on a lot of that because like I know the story at this point, but like there's just so much like beautiful stuff going on. Like there's like the movie theater scene early on where Cleo tell, tells uh, Fermin, um, the naked dude with his, um, so she loves his martial arts, that guy. <laughs> He's saying like, Oh, like I'm pregnant. And like, there's like, like a group in front of them having like a really like, they're like also kissing and just having like a really like warm conversation. And it's just, it's just so great. Like the amount of like, I mean, it sounds so cheesy to say like, Oh, like all the life happening before your eyes. Like it sounds mm-hmm. like so like, pretentious to say that but it's so true like there's so much great stuff happening in this movie other than just the plot itself no yeah, yeah, yeah for sure i i agree 100 percent um and then kind of just some movies that i've been jumping into i i watched um loving vincent the other night have you guys seen it i nope. have not okay so um it's from 2017 and i watched it and just after watching it, I, I figured why not watch uh, Willem Dafoe's uh, At Eternity's Gate the next night. So that's kind of what I did back to back Vincent Van Gogh films. Um, Loving Vincent is actually the first movie ever that is uh, uh, it's animated, but it's the first film ever that's all paintings. So the animation is, is literally all done by, by hand paint. Um, and it is incredible to watch uh, from just an aesthetic standpoint. Now, the I think that it's definitely um style over substance in in the fact that the narrative isn't as strong as what you're watching on screen so to speak i mean it's still a watchable movie and there's still a lot of good stuff in there and it's 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 it, it there's a good narrative in there but it's not as strong as the art but it's it's just gorgeous to look at some of these paintings it was done by over a hundred painters um i know uh cersei ronan she voices a character in this film um i forget who else is in it but for the most part it's 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 all in English for the most part, but there are a few um, scenes, obviously, where they go into French. But this is a really good movie. Then the next night, Eternity's Gate, because I kind of wanted to see uh, Defoe's performance. And I know that it's it's kind of weird because every few years there's a Best Actor, Best Actress nomination in a movie that no one's really not heard of, but no one's really seen. I think in 2018 this was that because you had Rami Malek for Bohemian, you had uh, I almost said Dick Cheney in Vice, but Christian Bale playing <laughs> Dick Cheney in Vice. Um, you had uh, Bradley Cooper and I think uh, Vigo as well for Green Book and then you had Willem Dafoe kind of sneak in there in the fifth spot I think that was the five um and At Attorney to Skate was the film out of those five that I think no one saw pretty much and it's it's really worth a uh, while I, I didn't love the movie but there's a lot in there to enjoy it's a beautiful movie and I, I really thought it was going to be um a lot more um biographical or autobiographical but it really is kind of a look at uh, mental health and um it, it is really just a beautiful movie for sure and his performance is fantastic as always he can he can do no wrong um but yeah it, it's it's a really neat movie and if you're if you're wanting to watch a film that's just aesthetically just so beautiful um because they really try to he loved to paint nature and they really try to paint nature in a beautiful light in this film there's so many great shots uh, and great um sequences throughout this film yeah, those are two that are on my list of movies I need to see. And I feel like there is always, like, there's always that one kind of, like, weird Best Actor nominee where, like, the winner is always, like, some guy who's playing a guy that you know from history or, like, some <laughs> kind of, like, version of that. Uh, but there's always, like, like yeah, like, that guy who just is, like, in that random movie. And it's like, oh, good for you, guy who got nominated. I mean, like, 
Like this year, we had Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, which is I think was actually my favorite of the bunch of those mm-hmm. of the nominations. But like, like I love that movie, but like I don't like no, not a lot of people saw that. And then like a couple of years ago, there was like it was like Vigo was for for Captain Fantastic, which was like another movie that no one saw and I still haven't seen. Um, it does just feel like they always have like that one slot open for just like like oh here's like a really interesting artistic choice by like a, in a movie that we no one's seen, but we're gonna. We're going to congratulate them. I feel like that's always like a, an Academy move. Yeah. And I think, I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> there's always like, <laughs> there's always the outlier. And then you'll have like Joker that pops up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we move on, though, I will say uh, with loving Vincent, the animated film, just, I just definitely want to recommend um it just because of the painting and and this the style that went into it i mean there were 65,000 frames all uh done by artists and it's it's just gorgeous to watch in that way and for it to be the first movie too that's just completely animated done with uh, paintings uh i think it's it's definitely fitting for someone like Vincent van gogh yeah it's it's definitely one that i'm interested in um but we'll just get around to it whenever i do um, and then I do have watch, the, You gotta watch the Willoughby's first. I got. So I have <laughs> Shrek one through four, the Willoughby's, and then maybe the Vincent Van Gogh duology. Um, <laughs> but I did have an actual recommendation from this last week, and that was 1992's The Player, uh, which is a Tim Robbins movie that I just loved. Um, oh, so it's it's, so it's it's so it's such a Hollywood movie. But it's almost like an anachronistic Hollywood because it's like it's set in the 90s, um, but it like it has a lot of that like 40s studio feel to it. But then there's just a ridiculous amount of 90s cameos. Um, like there's a there was a Jeff Goldblum cameo that I didn't know was in the movie and it just comes <laughs> at you. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> uh, but it's just like it's just such a cheeky like take of like satire of the studio system and um like nick and i actually talked about this the other day but there's like a big sequence in the beginning where a whole bunch of people are just pitching the worst movie ideas to tim robbins's character um but it was just i had so much fun with that movie um what what a two hours <laughs> what a picture uh, i love <laughs> <laughs> I, so i had actually just seen it for the first time a few weeks ago too and Oh my god, I love this movie so much. Like you're talking about like that opening sequence where the camera is it's all in one take and like it's like peering into Tim Robbins' office, like like from outside the window, and like people are like, Oh, like here's my idea for this movie. And he's like, Oh, so it's like a horror comedy sci-fi mashup. Uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> it's like all like literally every genre put together. It's so funny. And they're like, Oh yeah, we'll get uh, the, a new hot star. And like all of them say like Julia Roberts or like, <laughs> and, if it, and if it's like a guy, they always say Bruce Willis. And there's also, there's a hilarious payoff at the end of that movie with, <laughs> with those two actors. It's so good. Um, but I love like, there's like all these like concept, like it's this really funny, like, like kind of like remarking on like Hollywood history and like people are walking around outside and they're like, Oh, what was that one movie with the really long take in the beginning? Uh, oh yeah. Touch of evil. Right. And like they're talking about touch of evil as like the camera hasn't been broken. And like, like the scene is like eight minutes long. It's, Oh, it's so good. Um, but yeah, Tim Robbins goes nuts in that movie. Um, it's just like, it's so like angry about Hollywood, a lot of that movie. And it's so like the ending is just so perfect. It's like the most like, angry bitter like like hollywood tries to take care of its own at all costs type of ending uh i 
yeah, I can't recommend the player enough. It's so great. Yeah, it's, it's weird because the things that I liked about the player are what I disliked about Scream 3 because it just like plays off of this inside joke of the Hollywood that's going on inside of this movie as like compared to the Hollywood that made the movie you're watching that I think worked really well there that just doesn't work at all in Scream. Um, but that's the last I'm going to say about Scream 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's it's there's a really good bit in there too when there's like, there's always like meeting people out out for lunch. Uh, Tim Robbins, like he always has like these lunch meetings and he runs in. There's a really funny thing with uh, John Cusack. Like he just like, <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, you're going to Sundance this year? And he's like, oh, maybe, I don't know, oh, whatever. It's like, all right, bye John Cusack. And like, that's it. <laughs> that's, like, that's the only time he's in the movie. And there's like a really funny thing with Burt Reynolds as well that I don't want to spoil <laughs> where he's also at, at lunch. Cher's uh, also in the movie at, uh, for some point, just like the centerpiece of this scene. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> It just throws random cameos at you, and it, but like it works them in so naturally that they don't they don't really take away like like in the big short when you have Margot Robbie, um, but it's just like enough that you're like, hey, that person from the '90s, and then it moves on. Yeah, I feel like it's weirdly like there. There's like another version of that movie where all of like cameos are so like dated, and it's like I don't know who's like a '90s guy like Kyle McLaughlin. It's like oh look at him, he's in he's in here, but like. Like all these guys, all these people that they chose are like people that we still all still kind of regard as like very popular people. It's like Julia Roberts and Bruce Willis is like two of the big ones. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think it, it, it has aged, even though it is like definitely like it's it's a movie of that time. I think it's aged really nicely for what it is. Yeah. And I think part of it is like while the like the characters in the environment definitely feel very 90s, like the studio system that they built just feels timeless and like a lot of the elements of like tim robbins going out and exploring los angeles a little bit feel pretty anachronistic and i think that carries it a long way because if it was just like the demi moore cameo to the bruce willis cameo to the <laughs> jeff goldberg cameo then it, it definitely feel dated but it like it spreads everything out and it uses a lot of timeless elements to kind of keep it alive but that is that is the player. Um, that's honestly that's probably one of my favorite Sundance or <laughs> Sundance uh, Criterion Channel watches that I've had since I got the channel last month. Like it was just I had so much fun. <laughs> it's so great, and like that's not even like we have we barely even talked about the actual plot of the movie, <laughs> which is just kind of like how entertaining <laughs> this movie is. Like all the stuff on like the sides are like so good, <laughs> and there's also like oh yeah, there's this really interesting like murder plot <laughs> going on throughout <laughs> the whole movie. <laughs> like it's uh, so yeah. good, it's so good. I love it. I feel, I feel a little left out. I might have to get a Criterion. I mean, every week you guys just it's the onslaught of it. I might have to get it. <laughs> it took a minute for me to get it. Like I was always like, oh, I'm gonna do this finally. It's like, and then like, it was like a cut like a week or two into quarantine i was like all right let's just do it and then i haven't looked back since because there's just there's just been like Criterion's the best like we know like like netflix is like yeah like they have a lot of new stuff coming out but it's like you can just like like film school is just all on a criterion and it's so great and then you also have like stuff like the player and near dark which i watched for the first time whole vampire western which is great <laughs> like there's and so shaft. much great stuff on yeah and shaft and, and just <laughs> and i watched jason jason and the argonauts for the first time the other day too like and they're always adding new things and like taking things off and like it's just they always they're always churning new things out and even if stuff is like not necessarily like quote unquote like cinema with a big C um, it's like they love a bunch of different kinds of movies and appreciate them um, so like 
I love that because there's just so much different stuff on there. Yeah, and they actually have, I haven't gotten into it yet, but they have a very big selection of the original Godzilla movies, um, like the Japanese and the American adaptations of it, which I, I didn't really expect buying into it, but I'm definitely looking forward to checking out. Yeah, Funny me too. Because I, I ordered, I, I forget if I've talked about it on the pod, but I ordered from a Criterion, uh, the, the Godzilla pack, a lot of the older ones, uh, starting with the original in, in 54 and going through to like the early 70s. And it came in a few weeks ago. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful DVD set that it kind of looks like uh, uh, kind of like a comic book layout with all the colors and, and just the way it's designed. But I'm, I'm definitely going to get uh, popping those in the Blu-ray player soon. That's beautiful. I love also how like they're very quick on things for like so when everyone started to freak out about a portrait of lady on fire all the, the <laughs> criterion was like oh yeah we're gonna do a criterion release of that movie it's like just almost like immediately like there's i love how they do that they're like oh yeah we all recognize this is like kind of incredible so we're just gonna like go forward and like canonize this which is really cool criterion will preserve it forever <laughs> Criterion slaps <laughs> is kind of the, what we're getting at here. <laughs> um, and I think that's a pretty good way to wrap up this week <laughs> because we will we'll be back next week. I know I'm I've got a few more Criterion picks I want to hit before they leave at the end of the month. And then I mean, really, while we're on lockdown, my school year's wrapping up, so I'm going to have nothing but time for movies. So I I will have a lot more recommendations next week. Yeah, me too. Hopefully, I'm. There's a couple things I want to get into uh, this week. Um, I feel like I'm kind of like all over the place, where it's like, oh yeah, I'll dive into that filmography, but then I just like don't. So, I guess TBD and what what I'm actually looking forward to. But I know there's something out there that I'll watch. <laughs> Same page. I'm with you. Um, but yeah, with that, that kind of wraps up this week's episode of the Movie Bible Podcast. Remember, you can check us out online at moviebiblereviews.com. And we'll be back next week, uh, maybe talking about Scream 4, but just talking about <laughs> movies and uh, what's going on in the movie world. 